You are listening to the Next Best Picture podcast, and this is our review of Unhinged. Come on, man. Go! You know what a courtesy tap is, young man? Sounds like this. It's light. It's friendly. I'm sure that's what your mom meant to do. No, it's not. Mom! Having a kind of a hard time lately. I'm sorry. Accept my apology? Just ignore him. Well, if you could just do the same, we could press reset. I don't have anything to apologize for. Can you go, please? Are you okay? I'm pretty sure the guy in that truck's following me. He's road raging. Why don't you just chill, man? Go your own way. I don't think you really know what a bad day is. But you're gonna find out. That man stole my phone. Andy? I'm sitting here. I'm waiting for you. Uh, whose phone is this? I'm right across from your friend. Hey, listen to me. Uh, he's not a friend, okay? He's a psycho who came after me today. This is where your first lesson begins. Give me my phone. Oh, Put him back on this goddamn phone! No, I can't do that. What do you want? I need you to learn what a bad day really is. Sorry. And you're gonna learn through violence and retribution. Sounds like you're waking up. I'm wide awake. You better bring your A game. Because you're gonna need it. All right, everybody, you were just listening to the trailer for Unhinged, and the story is as follows. A mother leans on her horn at the wrong time to the wrong guy. Road Rage doesn't begin to describe what he's about to do to her and everyone she knows. The film is starring Russell Crowe, Karen Pistorius, Gabriel Bateman, Jimmy Simpson, and Austin P. McKenzie. It is directed by Derek Borte and written by Carl Ellsworth. Joining me for this podcast review, I have Nate Adams. Hello, how's it going? Thanks for having me. Absolutely. Thank you for coming on board. And also, Rafael Motomayor. Hello, hello. Two guests, not my regular podcasting crew today. Listen, Unhinged is opening up at a very interesting time, right? Absolutely. Uh, it's um, it's crazy to think that theaters are actually starting to open back yeah. up again. Uh, and I know that obviously some people, you know, like uh, I know, Matt, you're in New York City. There's really no options for you to see it in theaters. So uh, thankfully, you were able to get access to it. But I think we were... We were also talking off camera a little bit about, um, you know, what are you going to do for these other bigger upcoming releases? You know, like you're not going to, oh, you're not going to get the tenants. I think they're going straight to theaters with that one. So it's definitely an interesting time for for film journalists. Yeah. Yeah. So that's what we're going to do is we're going to continue to keep trying to cover uh, the movies that we can here on the Next Best Picture podcast. And I might have to reach out to some guests here or there uh, and 
you know, we'll just do what we can as we go through this transitional period as the country slowly starts to allow access to movie theaters once again. Uh, I think that we all probably, I'm guessing, saw it via early access. I'm, I'm, I'm assuming, right? <laughs> no one saw it in a movie theater? I actually saw it in a movie theater because... Oh, you did? Yeah. Wow. Here in Norway, open uh, slightly earlier than in the U.S., Oh. And I, things are pretty normal here, at least in the part where I live in. Uh, What's that like? <laughs> they only closed for like a month. Uh, so by the time I went to see this movie, was I wasn't taking a huge risk on anything. And I thought, sure, why not? Rosa Crow, might as well I'm write about it, uh, do my job and everything. So, yeah, it was, diff- it was a surreal experience, to say the least. All right. Yeah, no, I definitely can understand how surreal it must be. I mean, I know for myself, the next time I probably go to a movie theater, seeing everybody wearing masks is definitely going to be odd, to say the least. But, you know, this is the world that we live in right now. And Solstice Studios, brand new studio. This is their first release. They were very... adamant early on that this was going to be the movie that people would run back to see in theaters when theaters reopened (laughs) unhinged was going to be the movie that saved cinema not (laughs) tenant they were hell-bent on getting unhinged out there first and you know what it they they wanted it like I, i i mean it was in a guinea pig position to see if people would go back and then go see a bigger film like tenant Everybody kind of knew that, but credit to Solstice Studios for like really just embracing the get there first aspect of it all. Okay, so the movie itself. Uh, Interesting to say the least. <laughs> I guess you could call it that. Raphael, what about you? What are like some opening general thoughts? Uh, well, if they wanted this to be the movie that lured people back into theaters, they should have really reconsidered that before. <laughs> it, is, it is not a terrible movie. Uh, if you want to spend... I mean, that's the thing, right? Like, you, it, taking out of context, you could certainly do worse. But when it is the first movie many people are going to see in theaters after so many months stuck at home you probably want something that gives a better impression than on Hades. Yeah, I actually think it hurts the movie-going experience rather than help it, if I'm being completely honest. (laughs) I I think that if this was a normal film year, this would not be getting anywhere near the press or the coverage that it has received. Absolutely. that can be said for a lot of movies in 2020 this year, I would would say. I think you're absolutely right. This is definitely um, a canary in the coal mine situation. And I know Solstice Studios, their model now is they're going to be the savior. They're going to make low-budget thrillers, you know, maybe some comedies for – I think they said this costs somewhere in the realm of $30 million. So this is a relatively low risk because if it comes out in theaters now, it doesn't need $100 million to break even. So if it just makes, you know, 30 million at the domestic box office, which maybe is plausible, I don't know, we'll see after this weekend, then, you know, right, they're getting all this extra publicity that in any other year, Matt, like you said, it would not be getting. It's already made $9 million, I think, at the box office as of right now on that $33 million budget. And, you know, to your point, credit where credit is due, I guess. Right. It's really, really nice to hear that there are people out there who are still devoting money to the mid-budget, you know, adult drama. That's not going to streaming. (laughs) Exactly. Exactly. I, for a long time, have felt that 
you know, those were just slowly dying off. And, you know, with recent box office failures from Annapurna and A24 playing things so close to the chest, Mm -hmm. because with them, you know, their movies don't typically become big box office successes. Uh, When they do, though, they like to try and be very conservative with that money that they bring in. Like, yeah, because Uncut Gems was huge for them, I think, right? Yeah, Hereditary was big. Lady Bird did pretty well for them. But, I mean, those movies are pretty rare considering to their output of content. So the business model has been, you know, faltering for a little while now. And like, you know, you guys just said, Unhinged is in a good position until Tenet and a few other movies uh, release slowly over the next couple of weeks where it could make back uh, that budget and break even at the very least. I don't know if it'll be able to cover marketing costs. That's a whole other story. But Yeah, but I think they've gotten a bunch of free publicity, though. Like, the theaters are advertising it for them, right? Because they're like, True. this is the movie. They're getting it back in theaters. And I don't know. I think Russell Crowe's PSA was pretty darn good. <laughs> what it, well, going back to the movie, too, I mean, uh, Nate, general opening thoughts. Like, what, what did you think of the movie overall? Yeah, I, uh, I, I, I couldn't. I, I could definitely tell that it was made for a big screen experience because I, I didn't get to see it in the theater. You know, maybe if I did, it might have been um, it might have heightened my um, experience a little bit. But watching it at home uh, in like road rage thrillers um, can usually be kind of fun. You know, like The Hitcher or Duel, you know, all that stuff. This yeah. just didn't work for me. Um, I, um, I wasn't on board with whatever Russell. Russell Crowe was definitely going for something. I don't know what it was, but it was something. Um, and I can appreciate that, but the movie just didn't work for me. Yeah, my big thing with this movie is I think it would have been a killer short. Have Russell Crowe be your star for your short. Have the incident on the road. Honk the horn. He gets pissed. Make it just a movie that takes place on the road. Yeah. We don't have to go off the road into extreme implausibility, which is what this movie ultimately does. And... I think it could have been just a really badass short, you know? I didn't even think about it that way. It's the minute that they get off the road and he gains access to her cell phone where I started to roll my eyes numerous times because I just could not believe how convenient some of the, some of the uh, storytelling beats became and also just how incredibly preposterous it all was. Yeah, that cell phone thing, like, I can I can skip over a lot of things that this movie does, but the, the cell phone thing, because it's so important to everything else that happens, it just becomes a snowball effect that if you are not 100% on board with the idea that an uh, unlocked cell phone is common norm uh, in, in today's uh, day and age, and just how much information you're so easily uh, accessible in, on, on an unlocked phone, then you are you going to roll your eyes at like 75% of the movie? And the movie takes itself seriously. You know, if this movie was a little bit campy, I think, oh, yeah. I could have let some of those, you know, leaps of logic go. But the movie really does like go the serious route where it wants this to be almost like a, not horror, but, you know, just a, you know, adult thriller, if you will. And, 
it wasn't a fun adult thriller. So, yeah, I, I kind of have to hold those leaps of faith against it. There are definitely some moments where it leans into its campy territory. You know, there's a there's a scene at the end where they're like, a character says, like, it's almost like a yippee Kaye moment. And I just. Oh, kind of oh, like, the badass 1980s uh, final kill line. Yeah. yeah. And I was just <laughs> like, no, if it had been like that the whole movie, I'd have been like, this might have been something. I, I have to admit, I grinned and I laughed uh, at that line. And I freaking loved every single second of that because it was a throwback. And moment. that was good. It had good energy. Yeah. Um, but you're absolutely right what you're saying about the cell phone thing. And, and also the f- fact that. He can just conveniently go on this rage and nobody's stopping him. Like, how long does it take police to locate a man that in the middle of a diner bludgeons a man with a coffee cup and everybody's recording it? (laughs) Or in this day and age, nobody in the yeah, nobody in that diner uh, like runs up and tries to restrain the guy. Like there's no heroes, (laughs) you know, no, no great citizens that want to like just try to jump in and stop the bad guy. Come on. In this day and age, there's always somebody who tries to do that warrior trying to something right yeah exactly i just like i couldn't believe it at times and there just was too many moments like that where i'm watching this movie and i want to have fun with it you know russell crowe all right on a personal level we all know russell crowe is a piece of shit all right (laughs) so let's just get that out of the way he's a bad boy it's very 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 clear that his best days are behind him and Hollywood has kind of shunned him out. Yeah. The only thing now that he can do with his career is supporting roles or a lead in something like this. Well, I think what was the last big thing he did was it Lame is when he co-starred as with Hugh Jackman. That's got to be it, right? As far as I, I mean, th- 8 years ago, sure. Exactly. Yeah. That's what I'm saying. Like that was his peak. He's done. His that. last like a uh, high profile like prestige role I guess was a supporting part in Boy Erased. And yeah. then um he was also in the Kelly Gang, but he was also in it for five minutes. And that's also a VOD movie this year too. And it was made I in mean, Australia. Yeah, his career has definitely gone down for sure, and a lot of that I think is because um, I think he is blacklisted by a lot of people in Hollywood for his bad boy behavior and a lot of the, you know, terrible things that he's done to people over the years. So. You know, this is the best we're going to get from Russell Crowe at this point in his life. And I'm not here to fat shame Russell Crowe or anything like that. (laughs) But I will say that his physical presence, his screen presence is still very commanding. And he still has that magnetic persona that when you watch him on the screen, you are drawn to him as an actor. I can't take that away from him. Yeah, it's pretty easy to see. That, that, that's what uh, is so frustrating about the movie in a way, because had it been slightly uh, changed in tone, as you say, if they had dived a little bit more into the just the absurdity of the situation and played more into Russell Crowe as this big, intimidating guy, it would have been a fun thriller, but then they finally take it so seriously, and he... Him taking it uh, seriously is one thing, but the rest of the movie playing along, that's when it becomes a bit of a disconnect between what uh, the characters are doing and what how the movie is reacting to it. But Russell Crowe is for sure the saving grace of this movie. Yeah, it's like it's like everybody in the film can't get on his level. He is like operating at such a different velocity that the supporting characters around him don't know what to do. It's like I felt like Russell Crowe was stuck in a movie that they didn't know what to do with it. Yeah. If you're going in expecting just some B-movie-level thrills, I think this movie will deliver on that. You just got to 
kind of not ask too many questions while the plot unfolds. Like I said, once he gets her cell phone and it's like a few minutes of scrolling through her cell phone. Now he knows like everything about her life and everyone that she's connected to. And he starts like hunting down. He like transfers money from her bank account. (laughs) I mean, come on. You do realize that the apps within somebody's phone do ask for passwords. Like, she can't be a person that has the same password for every... It's just so ridiculous, you know? Well, they set that up in the beginning, right? Because the, the kid's like, Mom, it's very dangerous to not have your phone locked or something, right? As but but even if you don't have your it? phone locked, my Chase app still requires me to sign in with a password. Fair enough. <laughs> Maybe it was like a face ID or something, and he just managed to hack it. I don't know. I just don't know. I, I just think that once the movie goes that route and he starts doing these personal attacks on her family members and things like that, it's supposed to make him more psychotic and intimidating and, you know, a threat. But instead, I just the movie just lost me at that point. I was very on board, though, in, you know, the opening scenes and just the relatable moment of having somebody on the road honk their horn at you, uh, maybe because they are having a bad day, maybe because they just are a road rager, whatever it is. I mean, I'm not a horn honker. I really don't do that. I've never yelled at someone through my car window. And that's crazy because you're in New York City. Yeah, yeah but I, I can tell you I have had that happen to me, though. So that was a very relatable situation for the movie to kind of start with. Uh, but then they also, in the opening credits, have like all these uh, all this newsreel footage of accidents on the highway, of people being aggressive with their driving, and just aggression in general. Like like those, if like the world is a powder keg and we're all just getting ready to explode because everybody's just so angry about everything all the time. And I think there is an interesting commentary there. Don't get me wrong. But the movie mishandles it, and I think it really squashes uh, the social responsibility aspect of whatever commentary it was going for there. Yeah, that's the thing, though. It tries to, even for, for as much as it looks and feels like a B-movie, it also tries to be a serious movie, and it does try to give a message. It does, it's just that what it does and the, what the plot does goes so much against that message that it becomes, it just gives you a, a, a really big whiplash. Uh, and you were saying, uh, in the, like, the lack of uh, the really bad uh, policemen in, in the in the movie, that opening grace also tries to justify that by saying that for some reason there's been a wave uh, of, like, police quitting their jobs and, like, there are no, not enough police in the country. And I was like, I mean, if you are trying to, use that as an excuse for what happens in the plot, then at least make more of an effort to separate the world of the movie from the real world because there's definitely not a lack of police officers in the country. No. That's a good point. And especially with everything that we've all gone through in 2020 this year throughout the entire world. I mean, the timing of that uh, cannot be any more poor. Now, I don't mind if you have an imposing viewpoint on that matter. That's perfectly all well and good. But you just need to execute and sell it well. And I just don't think the movie does that. Um, Good on Russell Crowe for figuring out how when she was in the gas station for 0.5 seconds to throw LoJack on that iPad and to trash her car. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) I was like, what? Seriously. Sorry, I just... Oh, man. And then that's the other thing, too. Tech guru. I I can understand if, you know, you want to also make a movie about how everybody is on the verge of snapping at some point. 
right? And it's only going to take that one thing that's going to set everybody over the edge. Now, I can totally buy that because whenever we see like horrific acts of violence, like on the news or just crazy shit that happens in general, it is because somebody has snapped, right? And it's because they can't take it anymore and they just take out all that aggression and everything else on others. And so, okay, fine. Russell Crowe, he's had his breaking point. He's had his moment. Here's my other big problem with the movie. They set it up as his wife has cheated on him and he goes and he kills the hus- uh, kills whoever the guy is that she's cheated on him with. Uh, bludgeons her and then burns the house down. And that was presumably the night before. Now the next day or the next morning, he's still on the road and he comes across uh, Karen Pistorius' uh, character. And like the, the aggression and the rage just continues. And it extends beyond even her to other people as well. And I just had, like I said, I just had a slight bit of trouble buying into how long this this tirade this 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 streak like could just continue with this guy inflicting all this horrible violence on people over one thing that happened to him now if the movie had set up that there were multiple things that were happening to him it wasn't just his wife um if the movie had done a better job of maybe building us up to other elements that contributed towards this breaking point maybe i could have then balanced it out and you know judged his um his reaction uh, a little bit better but it, it just seems like an overreaction and i once again i i just didn't buy it right they do try to say that he also got a, into an accident at his job and he lost it because of it that they fired him uh, and he was like angry about that. But I do agree that it doesn't give you enough of a, a justification for, for for what happens. Uh, but at the same time, they the movie it, it does both uh, two things. It tries to build him as a big over the top threat, uh, sort of a, a, an you know, enhanced view of our world. But it also really tries to make you feel bad for him. And I was like. Uh, it gave me a bit of whiplash because the, the more crazy, insanely violent things he does, the more the movie tries to sympathize with him, and it felt not only wrong, but like it, it, it didn't accomplish it. It, it. The execution was really bad, in my opinion. Yeah, I um, I I agree with with with, with all what you guys are saying. Like, so you're telling me because this uh, the character, I think her character's name is I'm gonna say Courtney. She honks the horn. And scoots by him, and then he is all of a sudden like, this is just going to set off – like the um, the lengths that he goes to to make her life a living hell is so unrealistic. And that that's what kind of took me out of the movie. Like when he walked into the diner and he like uncovered that she had a meeting at a diner that morning at like 11 a.m. and walks in and just – and. I, it right. It, it momentarily is just like, how did this happen? Because she didn't say – she didn't apologize for scooting by him at a red light. Uh, her name is Rachel, by the way. Um, Rachel, Rachel. It's all right. Uh, but but I agree with you because like also too the minute that he sits down across from uh, Jimmy Simpson at that diner and he says, oh, I'm a friend. I'm a friend of Rachel. And Jimmy Simpson's character just believes it and just goes with it. <laughs> like, 
I would never. A complete stranger? Not, not 2020. Absolutely not. Show me a photo on your phone uh, of you two together. Something. Like, no way. No way. And he just, and Jimmy Simpson's so casual about it too, you know? Yeah, they want you to suspend that disbelief, but it's hard. It's tough. <sighs> and also, can we like say too, I don't know if this, this came up on your guys' radar while you were watching the film, but... Um, the threat against women, like violence against women, I, you know, I don't know if that, that was, that was kind of off-putting a little bit too. I I was very, very disturbed by the fact that there is violence inflicted not only on women, but also on minors in this movie too. Yes. Yeah. Oh yeah. Oh, I forgot about the kid in the attic. You're right. (laughs) I was, I was deeply, I was deeply troubled by it. And once again, like I said, if the movie had a different tone about it, um, you know, if it was going to go full on campy. Uh, like, all right. Like, I don't know. Maybe I. Uh, it depends, right? Yeah. But it. But if it's gonna go serious, then you better have all of your logic and everything else for me to buy into this justified. Because listen, I'm not saying that if you want to have a very very despicable character, he needs to do despicable things. And sometimes targeting women and children is a part of that. And there are a lot of movies that have done that sort of thing that have made um, antagonists and villains out to be cold-blooded evil bastards. And we hate them and we want to see nothing more than for them to get their comeuppance at the end of the movie. (laughs) Happens all the time, right? Right. Uh, I just watched The Patriot the other day. And uh, Oscar – not Oscar Isaac. (laughs) Um, Wait. What's his his name again? Uh, The villain in that. Isaac. Oh, Jason. Uh, Jason Jason Isaac. Jason Isaacs, yes. Lucius Malfoy. Great villain. Kills women and kids and everything else. And we hate him, you know, and we really, really buy into it. And we're not – and we're not as a society looking at that movie and saying – oh, this disturbs me, but it disturbs me for the wrong reasons. It's disturbing me for the exact right reasons. This is a movie where it disturbed me for the wrong reasons because the rest of the movie was not well put together to be able to sustain such a uncomfortable feeling that I got while watching it. But even a movie like... Like um, the Hitcher, I I'll even use the remake of the Hitcher with Sean Ben as a good example. Like yeah, they, Sean Bean, I love that one. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and um, the violence is mostly there's a lot of the violence we see a lot off camera. Like there's a scene in the film where like he murders a family, but we don't see it. We just see the aftermath of it, and it's ten times more effective that way than seeing Russell Crowe try to strangle a kid. Yeah, and I think that's what when I come back to the disconnect between what the characters do and what the movie, how the movie, uh, what the movie thinks of them. Uh, because, again, we are so clearly supposed to be against Russell Crowe's character. And as you say, like, he does horrible, unspeakable things. And yet the movie keeps uh, putting a, a sympathetic line on him and also kind of uh, saying that, uh, agreeing with his stand that, yeah, if only this woman had, had apologized to him for doing just honking a horn then none of this will happen. It's not that he was disturbed from the beginning. It's not his fault. It's that Rachel should have apologized because she was in the wrong. Because the movie does try to um, paint her as this really messed up character who's like hit rock bottom, the same as uh, Russell Crowe's character. Uh, She's late for everything. She doesn't have control over her life. And if only she wasn't super stressed and she was about to burst out the same, like they're trying to uh, compare the two and put them in as two sides of the same coin when it's so clearly not the case. 
I mean, yeah, I don't want to take away daily stress from people's lives and devalue it by any means whatsoever. Uh, but I agree with you that the movie is deliberately trying to create a contrast between those two characters and how they are dealing with the stresses of their everyday lives. And once again, the social commentary is just completely mishandled. And I don't think that they were responsible uh, in the way that they depicted it in this movie. So, you know, what what do you do then at that point, right? Because now you've angered a, a large portion of your audience who are going to watch this and, you know, look at it through that lens. Well, you just hope that they deliver now on the thrills, right? And I got to admit, I have to say, 2020, it's been, you know, it's been a, it's been a pretty rough year when it comes to movies of this sort, I guess I would say. Yeah. Um, and, and the simple sight of seeing a car crash, a stunt, a car flipping. I, I, I have to admit, it, it brought me a, a, a small, small <laughs> speck of joy in my life because I've just missed car stunts so, so much. <laughs> yeah, that freeway chase scene is probably the best scene in the movie. The whole when they're like trying to give the bait and switch and then yeah. there's a huge car pile up. I, I think you're right. That is absolutely the most efficient scene in the film. And it highlights uh, maybe the aspirations. And, and it kind of shows, too, what Solstice Studios and like what their programming is going to look like. You know, maybe if they, they take that energy and they harness it into something bigger, you know, they could make something great. Truly. Yeah, I think so. Once again, you know, the mid-budget adult drama or thriller, um, there is a place for it in the world. It's just it just takes a studio to be able to back it. And, you know, it would be nice if it had a better script. <laughs> yeah, there's not a lot of tension, though. That's that's really what hurts it the most. Yeah, and it's weird, too, because the writer, uh, Carl Ellsworth, he, he this is not the first time he does. Uh, he, he has done competent thrillers with some kind of social commentary before. Uh, he he wrote, uh, in my opinion, vastly uh, underrated uh, Red Eye, uh, directed by uh, Wes Craven. Oh, and Red Eye. Remake of the story. Uh, and both of those movies, they do have something to say, but they're also, and they deliver on the thrills. But here, he tries to do the same thing almost, and he vastly uh, overestimates uh, his handling on the social commentary aspect. But the directing, like as you say, the stunts, they they make it an entertaining watch. It just whether or not you are open to embark on that journey at this moment in time. Do you guys think it would have been better if we didn't know anything about their backgrounds? It had started on the freeway and they just been angry and like we didn't know anything about them. Would that have made this more effective? It would have worked if it was a short. Right. Yeah. We, we could take our own feelings and our own emotions and place them onto those characters. Fair enough. And I think it would have been a little bit more effective that way. I think even without uh, having to cut the movie down to a short, I think if it had been just like uh, The Strangers, for instance, that also, uh, that were just random person goes into your house and does crazy things and just wants to torture you for no reason whatsoever, I feel like that would have been not necessarily good, it just maybe a little bit better in regards to how the movie presents the 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 events or the action and the plot. Yeah. All right. I want to move this over to final thoughts on Unhinged. Anything that we didn't talk about that you want to talk about, I'll ask Nate first. 
Um, so I, I kind of want to go back to the whole cell phone thing, gas station bits. Like, you know, why why did Rachel not have her phone on her is another thing. You kept it in your car. I mean, everybody these days, you have your phone. And then second, she kept picking up the phone. He kept calling. Like, I think I would have been calling everybody, family, friends. I would have been calling, you know, her brothers living at home. I, you know what I mean? Like straight to get your brother and then go to the school. Because the school, the school isn't going to give out your son. Like he can't come in and take your, you know, there's security guards. So uh, that's just like another implausible thing that I was just thinking about the the whole movie. Um, but like you said, everything you guys are saying, like there was potential here for this movie to like truly um, uh, jump into the stratosphere of like great grungy grindhouse B movies. Yeah. Like death proof or something, you know? That's what I was hoping for. That's really what I was hoping for. I mean, even when I got the, when we got the first trailer, that's, that was the hope. It just sucks as this is the movie. <laughs> this is the movie that's supposed to be bringing back people in the theaters. And, it, and it, I get it. It's a, it's a canary in the coal mine situation. You know, somebody's got to go first. But, like, people that are maybe feel comfortable starting to go back in the theaters and they go see this and they're disappointed. Like, they're like, well, that wasn't worth it. And then they're reminded of why, you know, movie theaters are in the situation that they're in again, despite COVID. They're going to be like, I could have got that on Netflix for nothing. Yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Raphael, what about you? Yeah, um, as I said, I think it's uh, as a thriller, it works as uh, a bit of an action uh, B movie thriller. It, it works uh, well enough. Russell Crowe is really for everything else that he does, he's really good in this role specifically. It's just that whenever the action pauses and you start to the movie wants to say something, it becomes really muddled. But otherwise. If you literally have nothing better to see, you could do worse than on hate. I mean, I think a majority of the country right now has absolutely nothing to watch. Like, they're not like us where, I mean, I've been drowning in content for months with the amount of stuff that I've been sent. No kidding. Because I have the time. In a normal year, most of the stuff that we've been sent uh, to, you know, watch, I probably would not have gotten around to watch because I would have been focused more on the big Ten polls and the larger film releases that were coming out on a weekly basis. You know what I mean? Well, and a lot of those were coming into theaters. We just were like the Lovebirds. Um, I'm sure I'm assuming the Defy Bloods would have had some kind of theatrical release that I would have had to have gone to a screening for before a screener. So, like, we've been lucky, right, to get this stuff at home, which I'm, I'm grateful for, right, and having the time is nice. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So my final thoughts on Unhinged, I really don't have any other final thoughts. I think we covered it pretty well. Um, We do our grade system out of 10, no point fives. I'm going to give Unhinged a four because even though I I was originally going to go lower with it, but I couldn't deny that at the end of the day, I... Even though I'm not positive on it, I I still didn't walk away from it thinking it was like one of the worst movies I saw this year. Um, And I think a large part of it had to do with how much Russell Crowe kept me invested in the movie. And I also think, and maybe I'm greedy on a curve here, but I was starving for some B-level thrills and I got them. So, you know, I'll I'll give it a four. I think I'm being more than generous, though, uh, with that grade, in my opinion. Raphael, what about you? Yeah, I think I will go with a four as well, if only because, uh, again, you you won't get bored and the movie uh, is fast-paced enough. Yeah. But it's just that, man, if it had been any other week, I would not say go see this movie. Like, if you have, again, it's just because of the lack of options here. And even then, you could always go back and watch older movies, but... For what it does, it, it does have some memorable moments, I guess. Yeah, yeah. Nate, what about you? 
Uh, I'm actually gonna be the down on this one. I'm going like a like a one, one or uh, probably a two. I'll give it a two just because of everything you guys you guys made me raise it a little bit. Um, uh, everything it just it didn't on a level for me didn't work for me. And Raphael, to your credit, I mean you did get to see it in a the theater, and I wonder if um, I had seen it in a the theater might have maybe the sound system and the big screen. I might have definitely elevated elevated it a little bit. But, um, you know, what Russell Crowe, like, I can appreciate what he was doing. He was trying to strive for something, and some parts of it worked, but most of it didn't. Um, didn't care for the violence against women and children like we talked about. So, yeah, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to stick firm at a, at a two. Yeah, yeah. Totally understandable, for sure. All right, and then usually we have a section for discussing Oscar prospects, but lol. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, let's, let's, like, maybe, I don't know, like a Razzie or something? I, I, I wouldn't be surprised, actually. Uh, that would be, yo, Russell Crowe appearing at the Razzies. There you go. Why not? <laughs> I'd buy into it. Sure. He just comes like in character, accepts the award, <laughs> just grinning his 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 teeth at everybody, grinding. <laughs> Is there any sound, like technical stuff maybe? I don't think so. No, no, no. I mean, I've come to the conclusion that even in this crazy, wacky year that we've had, I, 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 I was trying to give a little bit, I was really trying to fight for the smaller movies that would never come close to the Oscars, but the more that we go further and further into this year, the more I'm starting to realize, oh no, the typical Oscar contenders are still going to be the typical Oscar contenders. Right. So no, absolutely nothing for unhinged. All right, uh, Raphael, thank you so much for joining uh, me here today. Nate, same to you as well. Uh, Raph, where can they find your work on the internet? Uh, well, I'm all over the place. I, I'm writing for uh, the playlist every weekend. I'm a weekend editor there. Uh, and I do work at Observer. I have my review of Tenet uh, early next week at Collider. So check that out when it goes up. Really, really jealous. Really, really excited to see what you have to say about it. And I miss our uh, festival experiences together, my my friend. I feel like we were spoiled uh, this year. <laughs> Could you imagine if we had not been at Sundance this year, what this year would have been like for us? <laughs> I'm jealous of you both. I'd be gearing up for Toronto right now. I'd be getting ready to go to TIFF. And yep. I'm sad. <laughs> yeah. It's a crazy time. Nate, where can they find your work on the internet? Uh, yeah, so most of my stuff, um, you can find me at theonlycritic.com or you can search Nate Adams on Rotten Tomatoes. It'll take you back to that. Um, and then I, uh, I'm i in Michigan, so some folks, I, I do write for some local publications, uh, Clinton Local, Daily Telegram, stuff like that. Um, but that's that's all regional uh, local stuff. Um, so yeah, theonlycritic.com. I'll have my review of Tenet next week as well. I'm um, seeing Tenet, not next week, the week after but it, it's coming soon. All right. And I don't know when I'm seeing Tenet. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Hope we get to see it soon, man. Yeah, we'll see what happens. All right. You've been listening to the Next Best Picture podcast. You can find me at Next Best Picture on Twitter. And you can subscribe to us on SoundCloud, iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, TuneIn, Player FM, Acast, CastBox, and also on Spotify. Be sure to leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. Let us know what you think of the show. We really appreciate the feedback and the support, which you can lend on over at Patreon. For $1 minimum a month, you will get some exclusive podcast content from us. Thank you so much for listening. As always, we shall see you all next time.